0: Hello and welcome to the Zeal for Your House podcast. My name is Caleb Griffith and I'm so glad you've joined me today as we look into the Word of God to inform our minds, engage our hearts, renew our spirits, and save our souls. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 13 of the Zeal for Your House podcast. This will be the final episode of Season 1, and if you have been a regular listener thus far, thank you so much for your time. I'd appreciate any feedback you might have for me, and as in previous episodes, I'll share some ways you can contact me at the end of this episode, so if you have any feedback to offer, you are more than welcome to do so. In this first season, I took a number of requests for topics and discussed them in the previous 12 episodes. This is the last of those requests that I will be addressing, and this is a big one. I was asked for my take on what today's church needs most. Now, obviously, I am not the authority, or even an authority, on today's church, but I've thought long and hard about what today's church needs. So you might think differently than I do based on your perspective, but from what I've seen and what I know, and most of all, what I read in the Word of God, here's what I believe today's church needs most, as a whole, on the congregational level, and down to the lives of individual Christians. I'll begin by directing your attention to the words of Jesus given to seven churches in the first century as recorded for us in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. In Revelation 2 and 3, we find the words of Jesus written down and sent in letters to seven congregations of God's people throughout Asia. These were the congregations of Ephesus, of Smyrna, of Pergamos, of Thyatira, of Sardis, of Philadelphia, and of Laodicea. To each of these seven churches... Jesus began by saying these four words, I know your works. Think about that for a moment. Jesus says to each of these congregations, I know your works. What if Jesus were to write a letter to your congregation today? And he began that letter by saying, I know your works. Would that be a comfort to you, that your Lord knows what you are doing? He knows what you are doing in his name to serve him and to serve others? Or might that scare you a little bit, that Jesus knows what you are doing? He knows what the church is doing. Is Jesus pleased with your works? Of these seven churches, we see two that were doing good. Two churches that were doing good. These were the congregations of Smyrna and Philadelphia. And the message that Jesus gave to each of these congregations have to do with faithfulness and continued faithfulness. To the church in Smyrna, as recorded in Revelation 2, beginning in verse 8 through verse 11, Jesus warns this congregation that trials are coming. They are about to be tested, verse 10. But Jesus says, do not fear. And at the end of that verse, he says the oft-quoted, "'Be faithful unto death, "'and I will give you the crown of life.'" Trials are coming and faithfulness is needed. That's what he says to this congregation that was doing good. In chapter three, in verses seven through 13, we read his letter to the church at Philadelphia. And Jesus has nothing but good to say of this congregation of God's people. These Christians who assembled together were faithful, and they were going to be rewarded for their faithfulness. And Jesus wanted them to understand that great reward of staying true to him. Now, there were also three churches that Jesus wrote to that were doing good, but they were lacking. They were doing great things in the name of Christ, but there were certain areas and places in which they lacked. These were the congregations of Ephesus, Pergamos, and Thyatira. At Ephesus, we see that good works without love makes a church that lacks. We read in Revelation 2, verses one through seven of this congregation at Ephesus. Jesus said in verse two, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And we might hear that commendation and think about what a great congregation of God's people this must have been. But Jesus continues in verse four. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They were doing these good works, but they had left their first love. They no longer loved Christ the way they used to. They no longer loved each other the way they used to. They did not have that same bond, that same relationship, that same fellowship we can read in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 1 through 3 how Paul says we can have the greatest of miraculous gifts and we can be doing so good, we can even give our body to be burned in the name of Christ. We can become martyrs for Christ. We can give everything we have to the poor. We can do all these things, but if we do not have love, we are nothing, Paul says. Good works without love makes a church that lacks Then from the congregation at Pergamos, we see that faithfulness to the person of Christ without faithfulness to his doctrine makes a church that lacks. We read of the congregation at Pergamos in Revelation 2 verses 12 through 17. Verse 13, Jesus says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. These were people who even in the midst of persecution, even one of their members being put to death because of faith in Christ, they still held true. They still held true to the faith. But verse 14 I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. And in verse 15, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And Jesus tells them, repent in verse 16, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. These people had stayed true to Christ, to their profession of faith in Christ, even in the face of persecution. But they were allowing false doctrine to abide in that congregation. They were allowing false teaching to take place, to be led astray from the pure and holy doctrine of Christ. 2 John verse 9. Faithfulness to the person of Christ without faithfulness to his doctrine makes a church that lacks. And then number three from Thyatira. We see that abundance of good works yet with a tolerance of sin, makes a church that lacks. In verse 19 of Revelation 2, to Thyatira, Jesus says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. They were doing so good. They were doing so much better than when they had first become Christians. They were were hard at work in the kingdom. But verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you have allowed that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. And we read in the following verses that Christ would bring punishment upon her for her sin. This congregation was doing a lot of good, but they were allowing sin to remain in the camp. They were allowing this woman to lead them astray. To be, they, were, they became tolerant of sin. could remind us of the congregation in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 5, how Paul rebukes them for allowing this one who was committing sexual immorality to remain in the congregation instead of practicing discipline against him. An abundance of good works is a great thing, yet tolerance of sin makes a church that lacks. And so there were these churches that were doing good, but they were lacking in major ways. But then the final two churches, these were two that lacked greatly. First, we read of the church of Sardis in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 6. "'I know your works,' the Lord says, "'that you have a name, that you are alive.'" But you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. They had a name, a reputation, that they were a good congregation, that they were alive spiritually but they were dead, they were dead. And they needed to repent, else judgment would be brought upon them. This was a church without vitality. They looked from the outside as if they were a good sound congregation of God's people, but you get on the inside and they were dead. They were inactive, they weren't working, they weren't loving, they weren't growing. And then there's the church at Laodicea. And this was a church without passion. I know your works, Revelation 3, verse 15, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, the Lord says. This was a congregation that hadn't abandoned the Lord. They weren't cold, to use that figure of speech, but they weren't on fire for the Lord either. They weren't hot. They were lukewarm. And like food that is lukewarm, Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. In verse 19, the Lord says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And that's what they needed. They needed zeal. They needed passion When I think about these seven churches and then the church today and what we need, there are many congregations in the church today that are good, that are faithful to to the cause of Christ and doing good works and they will be rewarded for such. I do not want to come across in any way as a pessimist thinking there is no one left who is faithful. That's not the case. But then there are other congregations that are doing good, and they're doing good works for the cause of Christ, but they are lacking in some major ways. And they need to repent. They need to turn back to the Lord. That's what Jesus said to each of those congregations. And then there are some churches today that are spiritually dead. They are dead churches, and they are lukewarm churches, without passion, without life without vitality. When I think about the church today, if I could sum up what the church needs, I would say that today's church needs passion. The church needs passion. Allow me to offer a definition of passion for our purposes in this podcast. Passion is when we see a goal and are driven to action by deep conviction and feeling. Allow me to repeat that, and then we'll dissect it. Passion is when we see a goal and are driven to action by deep conviction and feeling. First, passion involves seeing a goal. Passion without vision is useless, and passion without proper vision is dangerous. We have to learn to see with spiritual eyes, guided by the light of the inspired word, Psalm 119, verse 105. We need to see people in the way that God sees them, and we need to see the world in the way that God sees it. We need to see sin the way that God sees it, and we need to see truth the way God sees it. Passion focused in the wrong direction will lead us away from the Lord rather than closer to him. But passion involves seeing a goal, having that vision of what needs to be done, and then being driven to action. We must be dedicated and motivated in serving God and serving others. Inactivity is killing the church today contentment in the way we've always done things, rather than bold adventuring under the guiding authority of Christ, it's killing the church today. We need to be driven to action. Dead churches, congregations, and Christians who have lost their spiritual vitality need to be revitalized and employed in active work for the advancement of the cause of Christ. Lukewarm churches Congregations and Christians who simply do not care about truth, righteousness, holiness, spiritual growth, faith, maturity, and the work of seeking and saving the lost. They need to rekindle the fires of passion in their hearts and lives. Church, we need to be driven to action. And we need to be driven to action by deep conviction and feeling. When we think about conviction... We must be fully persuaded and convinced of the truth of God's word and of the message of the gospel. We need to be people of knowledge and understanding and believing. Not just a mental knowledge, but an experiential knowledge. How long has it been since our congregations have experienced the power of God working in them beyond their imagining? Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. How long has it been, Christians, since we have experienced the power of the gospel to save souls as we have shared that good news about Jesus with a person lost and dead in sin? We need deep conviction, and that means more than just professing the truth of certain statements like, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It means living every day as if that statement were true, as if it were completely, universally, and eternally true, because it is. You see, faith is not a mental process, not just a mental process. It is a state of life in which we take God's word for what it says and live accordingly. We need deep conviction, but more than just conviction in our minds, we need deep feeling in our hearts. Passion isn't just knowledge, it's feeling, and it is both of those combined which drives us to action. According to Romans chapter 10 in verses one and two, Israel was lost because they had zeal without knowledge. But make no mistake, we can be just as lost by having knowledge without zeal. What does today's church need? It needs people who care. The church needs people who know the Lord, who know the Word of God, who know the Church of the New Testament, and who care so deeply about God, Jesus, the Scriptures, and the Church that they make a lifelong commitment to devote themselves to daily and weekly work in the Kingdom of Christ. Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? Jesus was asked. And he responded, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The prophet Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord was made a reproach and a derision to me daily. And I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. In 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. That word that Paul uses, translated as woe, it carries the idea of being lost, like we would think of being lost in sin, standing under condemnation. Paul says, He would be lost. He would not be saved if he did not preach the gospel. We need to love God with everything that we have, with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. We need to let God's word dwell so deep in our hearts that we cannot keep from speaking it. Like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20 verses 8 and 9, We need to see that it's not about how much we can get by with, but it's about how much we must do. Our Christianity cannot be about the bare minimum, how little we can do to be saved, how little we can do to be a good Christian. Christianity is about doing what we must do, to be everything that our God has called us to be, to be everything that he wants us to be church simply cannot be lukewarm. If we are in a state of mind where we just don't care about the Lord, where we just don't care about doing things in His way, in His name, if we simply do not care about loving one another as He has commanded, John 13, 34, if we simply do not care about the unity of the Spirit that we are commanded to endeavor to keep and guard, Ephesians 4 verse 3. If we do not care about how we treat people as servants of the Lord, Second Timothy 2 verses 23 through 26. If we just do not care about being the people that God wants us to be, woe is us. We are lost. We need to be people of passion. And that means we need to go deeper than just the surface. We need to get out of the shallow end of Christianity. Just putting on a show, calling ourselves Christians, doing the bare minimum to get by in our faith. We need to go deeper than the surface. We need to go deeper than a surface practice of religion Hear what James chapter 1 verses 26 through 27 says. James chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Surface religion claims to be a Christian, claims to be doing what is right, but they don't make specific and personal application. They don't change the way that they talk to people. They don't bridle their tongue. They don't change the way that they treat people to see those who have needs, to care for them and provide for them in love and compassion. They don't change the way that they treat sin. They give the appearance of keeping the world at arm's length, but that's just the problem. It's at arm's length, and they're still holding on. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, that you may show to others without a shadow of a doubt what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. We need to go deeper than a surface practice of religion. In James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when he received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also it's one thing to say we're christians to say that we believe but faith without works is dead and we need to go deeper than a surface practice of religion a religion which professes faith we need to live by faith and that means that we need to think about our priorities Christianity needs to claim priority in our lives. We need to live with a spiritual perspective. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. We need to live with a spiritual perspective, not caught up in the things of this life, those things which are temporary and perishable. We need to be focused on eternal work, on living for those things which endure forever, on laying up treasures in heaven by doing good work in the kingdom of Christ. If Christianity is our priority, then we need to be willing to make radical sacrifices Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, Luke 9 and verse 23. We need to be willing to sacrifice everything we have to know and follow Jesus, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. If we are not willing to make sacrifices for our faith, Then we need to reconsider what our priorities are. We make sacrifices for those things which are our priorities. If my family is a priority in my life, then I'm going to spend time with my family. I'm going to make sacrifices for my family. If my work is a priority in my life, I'm going to spend time at work, I'm going to make sacrifices for my work. If the Lord is a priority in my life, I'm going to spend time for the Lord and I'm going to make sacrifices for him and if he is the priority in my life I'm going to make radical sacrifices. We need to prioritize what God prioritizes. We need to put first what he puts first. We need to submit ourselves to his will rather than our own. The church today needs passion. We need to go deeper than a surface practice of religion. And then we need to go deeper than a surface perspective of the church. If the church today is going to be what God wants it to be, then we need to think of it in the way that God wants us to think of it. The church is not a social club where we can hang out with friends and do good things and just generally be good people to one another. Those are certainly aspects of the church, but that's not what it is about. The church is not a business selling religion to individuals and they can go to whichever one they like based on what suits their needs, what gives them the most benefits. The church isn't a business. The church isn't a political organization working to enforce laws in this earthly country in which we live. The church is so much more than that. The church is a kingdom. It's the kingdom of Christ and of God, Ephesians 5 and verse 5. And that means we have a king. We have a king, a ruler who has all authority in his kingdom. What he says goes. If he doesn't say it, it doesn't go. Everything that we do, we run by the king. We live in a kingdom, and that means we are servants. We are servants of the king. Our will does not take precedence. Our desires are not the most important thing to get done. It's about the will of our king. We live in a kingdom, and that means that it's a nation. It's a spiritual nation, yes. It doesn't occupy a physical location on earth. It's in our hearts. It's a spiritual nation in the hearts of people being built together as a holy temple to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19-19 through 22. the church is a kingdom. And that means it has an army. And we are the army. And that means we have a battle. We have a spiritual war that we are called to fight in service to our king. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. But the church is not just a kingdom. It's also a flock. It's a flock of sheep. And that means that we are dependent upon our shepherd. The sheep cannot provide for themselves. They cannot protect themselves. They cannot lead themselves. They are completely dependent upon their shepherd, and that's who the church needs to be. The sheep trust the shepherd. When they hear his voice, they follow John chapter 10. And when we hear the voice of God speaking to us through his inspired word, we need to follow. We need to trust him. The church is a flock, and that means we are together. We live together. We have elders put over us as shepherds. They answer to the chief shepherd. But we submit to them as to the overseers of the flock, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and 1 Peter 5, and verse 2. But the church is not just a kingdom and a flock. It's also a temple, as mentioned from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And that means that we are holy. We are set apart from the rest of the world for service to God, unto his glory. And that affects everything that we do. Every decision we make as congregations, every decision we make as Christians, we need to do so with our purpose in mind, that we are holy. We are set apart. We are different. And our purpose is to serve God and glorify him. The church is also the bride of Christ. And we need to keep the bride of Christ pure and undefiled. We need to honor and respect her. Because Christ loved her. And Jesus gave himself to die for her. And the church is a body. Christ is the head. And that means he has the authority. But just as we think about our bodies we realize that each part is needed. Each part has a share in the work, Ephesians 4 and verse 16. And that also means that every part must be kept healthy and strong. We cannot tolerate sin in the congregation like the church at Thyatira did because every part has a share in the work and every part must be healthy. And we need to be working to strengthen and grow each part into maturity as we read in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. If the church today is going to be what it needs to be, then we need to have deeper than a surface perspective of what the church is. We need to go deeper than a surface production of spiritual fruit. We think about Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23 where Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. May it never be said of us today, as the church, that we are guilty of viewing and practicing these qualities in shallow ways. What if we were intentional? on a daily basis in our lives, and on a weekly basis in our congregations, every week, every time we come together, and every day as families and Christians? What if we were intentional about developing and practicing these qualities in our actions and in our interactions with one another? What if we loved one another in the way that Jesus has loved us John 13 and verse 34. What if we loved to such an extent that the world could look at us and know that we are disciples of Jesus, John 13, 35. They could look at us and say, these people follow Jesus because of our love for one another. What if we were so joyful, even in the midst of trials, James chapter 1, verse 2, that people could look at us and know that the Spirit of God is working in our lives. After all, it is the fruit of the Spirit. What if we had such a peace with one another, and a peace with God, and a peace with ourselves as we follow the God of peace, Philippians 4 and verse 9, that people could look at us and know we were Christians? What if we practiced patience? And kindness and goodness just being good moral people in the way that we treat others in the way that we react to our circumstances in the way we serve one another what if we maintained an integrity in our lives that we are going to be faithful to God to what the Lord has said and we are going to be faithful to one another to helping one another in our pursuit of Christ likeness what if we practiced gentleness and self-control, taking charge of our actions and the way we talk to others, treating others with respect and compassion and kindness. If the church today is going to be what it's supposed to be, we need to go deeper than just a surface production of this spiritual fruit. Not just saying that we're working on these qualities, but intentionally, day in and day out, working to develop each one of them and practice them. Next, we need to go deeper than a surface presentation of the gospel. Our responsibility, our commission, is to go into all the world And make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. The Lord said, whatever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That responsibility is not fulfilled by meeting a few times a week. Christians have the responsibility to meet and assemble together, Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25, but that's not how we fulfill the Great Commission. And if our evangelism consists of waiting for those in the world to come to us and practically beg us to share the gospel with them, and then just maybe we'll direct them to our preacher, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. If our evangelism consists of telling people the plan of salvation at the end of every lesson and offering for them to come forward while we stand and sing, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. If all we are doing is living our Christian lives and waiting for others to come to us and ask us to study the Bible with them, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. And why is that? Now, all of those things are good, but why do they not fulfill the Great Commission? Because of one simple two-letter word, our Lord said, go. He said, go. He didn't say, stay. He didn't say, hang around and wait for them to come to you. He said, go. He said, go into all the world. That means my neighbors next door. That means the people a few cities away. That means across the world. And of course, not one of us can go everywhere. But Jesus said, go. He said, go. And he said, make disciples. He didn't say, share a few Bible verses with them. He didn't say, run through a checklist of what they need to do to be saved. Jesus said, make disciples. That means bringing people to the Lord and showing them how to follow Jesus every day of their lives how to grow closer to him how to develop a relationship with him how to become an active member in the community of the church our commission is not to stay in our comfort zones to meet in our air-conditioned buildings and baptize those who want to be our mission is to go into the world and to preach the gospel to tell people about jesus And to make disciples by baptizing and then by teaching everything that the Lord has commanded, proclaiming to them the whole counsel of God, developing relationships with them to bring them into the fold. We need to stop running through the motions and start concentrating our efforts on the making of disciples, and not just the making of believers. There's a difference between believers and disciples. In John 8 and verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. A believer is one who accepts and professes truth. A disciple is intentional on a daily basis about living by the truth that sets men free. Our commission is to go and make disciples. And if the church today is going to be what it's supposed to be, if the church today is going to avoid dying out, then we need to go deeper than just a surface presentation of the gospel. We need to renew our efforts to go into all the world, to everyone we can reach and preach the gospel to them and bring them into the kingdom and make them disciples. And then... We need to go deeper than a surface preparation for spiritual warfare. We sometimes talk as if we're in a spiritual war. We sometimes mention it. But do we live like we're in a war? Do we live like every day is a battle for the kingdom of Christ, for the cause of God? We need to think of ourselves as soldiers, And that means that we have a responsibility. We can't be lazy. We can't do nothing. We have a responsibility to take up our swords, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Ephesians chapter 6 says, to take up arms and go to battle in the kingdom. As soldiers, we need to be faithful. We need to be obedient to our master, to our Lord. We need to be steadfast. We need to be willing to make a stand, to defend the truth of God's word, to defend the hope that is in us, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, to make a defense of the gospel. As soldiers, we need to be bold and courageous, not staying in our comfort zones, but going out into the battlefield Thinking offensively, how can we go forward? How can we press the offensive for the cause of Christ? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, we might think of that as Hades or that force of evil and sin and death attacking the church, and they will not win. We can stand strong. That's certainly true. But Jesus said the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Gates are in the walls of a city. Gates are defensive. Jesus says the church is on the offensive. They are attacking the gates and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. They shall not hold out against the onslaught of the kingdom of God. Brethren, that should give us courage. That should give us boldness to march forward as soldiers for the cause of Christ. As soldiers, we are brothers and sisters in arms. And we need to strengthen and support one another. We need to help one another in the battles. We need to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6 verse 2. We need to encourage one another to fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6 verse 12. We need to work together in the fight. It's one thing to talk about how we're supposed to be soldiers. It's another to live like it. To view our assembling each week as a rallying cry for the army of Christ. To come together and keep our mind on the mission. And then to go forward and march out into the world to do the work of the Lord to fight in that spiritual war, to think every day about the battles that we are supposed to be fighting for Christ. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is making the point that we must count the cost of becoming a disciple. We must consider the cost of following Jesus and then make a decision whether we are going to follow him. But he uses an illustration in Luke 14 and verse 31 That is very apt for us today. What king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able to ten thousand with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. Jesus uses this illustration to say that we need to sit down and count the cost, decide if we are able to be a disciple, what we are willing to give up to follow him before we commit ourselves to that work. Because if we are not willing to give up everything, we cannot be his disciple, Luke 14 and verse 26. But Jesus uses this illustration of a king going to battle. What king going to battle does not first decide if he is able to win? And if he decides that he is unable to win the battle with the men he has against the enemy and determines that the battle is not worth fighting, then he sends a delegation to ask for peace. The point is, when we go to war, we need to prepare ourselves. No one goes to war without preparing themselves for that battle. Those who are underprepared, as illustrated by perhaps the Germans in World War II when they marched into Russia unprepared for the winter, those who are underprepared will suffer loss. And as the kingdom of Christ, the church of our Lord, involved in this spiritual war, we can't settle for a surface preparation to just talk about how we're supposed to be soldiers, to talk about how we're supposed to be fighting this good fight of faith. We need to go deeper. We need to live with passion. We need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, casting down strongholds and those things which set themselves up, exalt themselves against our Lord and Master. What does today's church need most? We need passion. We need clear spiritual vision to see who God wants us to be, and we need to be driven to action by deep conviction and feeling. We need to love God with everything that we have. We need to let God's word dwell so deep in our hearts that we cannot keep from speaking it. We need to do everything that we can in response to the call of our God. We need to go deeper than a surface practice of religion, deeper than a surface perspective of the church, deeper than a surface production of spiritual fruit, deeper than a surface presentation of the gospel, and deeper than a surface preparation for spiritual warfare. The church today needs passion. And if we will light the fires, if we will rise up and answer the call of the Lord, if we will become the people that God wants us to be, if we will be driven to action, Jesus can look at us. He can look at his church, at its congregations, and its members and say, I know your works and be well pleased with his servants. Thank you for listening to the Zeal for Your House podcast. I'm Caleb Griffith, and it has been a pleasure to share thoughts from the word of God with you today. If you have questions or comments on the episode, or if you are interested in further discussion of today's topic, or if you simply want to learn more about God, Jesus, and the Bible, I gladly invite you to contact me. You can reach me by email at zealforyourhouse217 at gmail.com. Or you can find the Zeal for Your House page on Facebook or Instagram and message me there. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.